You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I am Jessica. I am Carissa. <laughs> and we are a little late in bringing you our regular fortnightly podcast because shit happens. Blame, <laughs> Things get busy. Blame the luncheon. Yeah, blame the luncheon. And that was <laughs> worth every iota of missing the podcast. Yes. But we are here a week later and today we're going to be talking about the recent Biosutical Symposium. We did this last year and Krista and I went down in mm-hmm. Melbourne. Yeah. This year Krista went alone. Solo. <laughs> so she is going to be sharing with us more so today all of the takeaway points. Well, probably not all of them, but some no. of the real standouts <laughs> that I think you guys will really be interested in knowing because a lot of the symposium is about uh, up-and-coming new research Mm. um, and also maybe a lot of information that isn't out there in the mainstream media at this point. So you're going to be hearing a lot more from Carissa today and probably me probing and asking questions along the way because we personally haven't talked much about this. We haven't. We We haven't even had a chance. And I think... um, yeah, I actually, as I was saying before, like I think I honestly so wish we did this, which we just didn't have a chance and that's just how it rolls, but fresh off the bat of me walking out of it because yeah. I remember like when I came into the clinic after being there and even when I was there, like my brain was just freaking exploding. Yeah. I was just so excited. It was mm-hmm. um, honestly like in terms, compared to last year, like I think I feel like it hands down shut on last yeah, year's yeah. symposium. Yeah. Just in terms of the fact that obviously I feel like we're pretty up to date with the mm-hmm. research mm-hmm. Um, and well, as up to date as you can be. Like obviously there's so much research coming out, but last year's symposium was great. I just don't think I got any wow factors out of it in terms of yeah. new information yeah. and this is the way forward. And I think last year was, was great, but it really just kind of cemented that we were doing yeah. and practicing the right way and that now yeah. the re- literature and research was starting to catch up with mm-hmm. what I think a lot of um, holistic practitioners have been doing for a long time. Yeah, I think sure. this year's one is awesome because I think it was actually more focused on the future of medicine and the future of um, you know treatment. Um, and it was really, really heavily focused on, um, you know, neurodegenerative conditions, um, mm-hmm. the gut brain axis, neuropsychiatry and inflammatory conditions that mm-hmm. pertain to, you know, like the central nervous system. So obviously mm-hmm. our spinal cord, our brain and, you know, the relationship between that and, um, you know, inflammation and the gut and all yep. that. So it was, it was freaking epic and I don't even know how we can <laughs> three days worth of stuff into a 40 minute podcast or 45 yep. minute podcast, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I think obviously just, yeah, the big take homes. Yeah, exactly. Like without, there was so much nerding out science stuff in there, which was yep. really, really cool, but I won't get into that too much today. Mm-hmm. I think cause a, most people won't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and like we want to, we want to share with everyone those yeah. points. I think that they'll be like, wow, that's yeah. amazing. Like that's really yeah. interesting. I'd like to know a bit more. Yeah. Um, obviously there's probably going to be more science based yeah. information that maybe we might, as you say, double into a little bit, yeah. but we yeah. can always talk about later on. Yeah. And we can probably even do some podcasts on some of this stuff. I know like we've yeah. got podcasts coming up 
that we want to talk about um, and I think this is kind of this the symposium in fairness was probably a great is probably a great segue into a lot of stuff that you know we'll, mm. we'll probably focus more on yeah. the podcast in the future so I think maybe just giving a good overview and then yeah. we can branch off into the stuff where the science goes yeah, down the sure. track would be really cool. So why don't we get started with you talking about maybe one of the well we can break it down as mm. we we're talking about by yeah. a presenter. So yeah, do you want to start with one of the presenters and yeah. give so us there, a bit of an overview? Yeah, so there was five presenters. There was um, Jay Lombard. Um, so these guys are all very focused in like neuro neuropsychiatry, um, you know, and neurodegenerative conditions. So there was um, Jay Lombard, Dale Brennison, um, Albert Menze. Dr. Brandon Brock, they're all doctors, actually, should we just say doctor before all of them? Mm-hmm. Um, that was four. And then also there was Amanda Archibald, Dr. Amanda Archibald. So I think there was five speakers mm-hmm. from memory. But we'll start with Jay because mm-hmm. he was probably the, fir- the first guy that actually got up and spoke. So he worked a lot with, um, you know, neurodegenerative conditions and inflammatory conditions. But he had this really awesome focus on... Um, you know, when we're looking at things like Alzheimer's and this, I think there's going to be a lot of overlaps in what I say, because obviously they're trying to, you know, get a point across and get a bunch of speakers that deal with, um, the information from different, you know, different treatment, probably aspects or different areas of treatment. But then overall, I think the thing that was really cool that there was a lot of take home messages that were quite similar. Mm -hmm. Obviously the speakers all had their different opinions on different things, which was really cool. So Jay was really, really focused on, um, like the stress and the stress axis. So the HBA Mm -hmm. axis and how that affects affects um, the central nervous system and he was also very gut focused as well mm-hmm. which was really cool um, so he really I was actually I actually had a slide up of his I think at the start that I thought I'm not going to remember all of this but um, mm-hmm. so he was just really focused on basically like the biochemistry of stress and understanding that you know like it, it basically has to I'm going to try and find the slide um, <laughs> it basically just when we're looking at things that break down the brain and things that impact the brain, we really have to kind of come at it from a personalized point of view. So mm. I think to date he was like saying, and this is obviously true, but his whole point was to date, like the research has been so heavily focused on like ever just treating everyone like they've got the same blueprint mm. um, and treating everyone as if, you know, if you've got some sort of neurodegenerative condition, whether it be Alzheimer's, whether it be, um, you know, psych, you know um, schizophrenia, depression, mm. um, anything like that, that everyone gets the same sort of treatment. And that's mm-hmm. been the orthodox medicine model to date. Mm. Um, and that's the way we've treated everyone. Um, diet and lifestyle have never been considered yeah, as factors sure. um, and they really bloody need to be. And mm-hmm. also the gut's never been looked at and mm. now it is. Mm-hmm. So he really, um, he was big on looking at, you know, really identifying um, the triggers for stress, mm. which I think was really cool. And I know we've talked about this before in the past with podcasts, in podcasts, and we talk about this on Instagram Lives, but really stress for you is not the same as what stress is for me. Mm. So it's really getting down to the, you know, the person at a biochemical level and understanding, you know, like from that level, what is actually um, influencing a stress response. So mm. we've got obviously, you know, our HPA axis, which, you know, kind of mediates our stress response. Mm-hmm. But then from that, what the triggers are that are firing that. So we're looking at, you know, he, he talked about the gut a lot. Mm. He, um, was super obsessed with the um, with C diff or the colostrum. Oh, he was, that guy. <laughs> he was the C diff guy. guy. Um, so obviously he talked. His he did he did. It's hard because he did a couple of presentations. But the big take home I got from him was really really big on identifying um, pathogens in the gut. Mm. 
Really and their relatability back to and causing relate- stress. And relatability yeah. back to causing stress, but mm. also how opportunistic they are and also their capability to pass the blood-brain barrier. Mm-hmm. So they're really starting to realise now that, you know, these bacteria and yeast and fungi and all of that kind of stuff that we've been banging on about for so long, just their capabilities of... of potential pathogenic activity mm-hmm. and it's not just localized to the gut mm-hmm. it's their ability to break down mucous membranes in the gut wall mm-hmm. and break down you know cellular integrity and cellular tight junctions and then cross those membranes and get into the bloodstream and piss off other things in yeah. the body and then also get up into the brain and cross the blood brain barrier mm-hmm. and cause this you know inflammatory response in the brain mm-hmm. so so sorry, when he was talking about understanding individual stresses, was he more talking about still internal stresses? No, or was no, he no, talking no. External as no, well? external as well. Yeah, so right. and and this was a really big take home from a lot of the speakers, mm-hmm. which I bloody loved. Like they spent so much time. There was a huge focus on the gut, mm. some and all for different reasons too, which I mm. thought was really cool. Um, his was definitely that. He talked a lot about um, genetic and genetic expression and identifying Mm -hmm. the genes involved in stress. But then in terms of external exposures, he spoke a lot about like your, um, you know, your relationship to your environment, um, Mm -hmm. your environment, like your environment from the time you're in utero. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to say in vitro, but we're not born in test tubes. <laughs> um, in utero. Yes. So, yes, yeah, exactly right. We probably are somewhere. We just don't bloody know about it. I reckon that's why iPhones scan your face. They're making clones of us, clones of us all. <laughs> they take your fingerprint. I'm like, uh, Apple, Apple's got this whole big conspiracy thing going on. <laughs> They're making clones of us in test tubes. Got our fingerprints. Oh, they and, don't want clones of us. Oh, God, help the world. I'd like a clone, though. They can give like, me a clone to use how right now. shit we could get I done know. if we had a clone. Oh, or a couple. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so environmental stress into, so exogenous and endogenous yeah. stress. So he was really, really big on that. And he was huge on identifying the genes that are involved in mm-hmm. stress and stress response, which I thought was awesome. Mm-hmm. And he also talked a lot about how, um, personal experience and personal behavior influences our stress response. So also perceived stress, which mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. Like just really understanding, okay, so you and I both might see, I don't know. Well, let's just say you and I both are in the exact same stressful mm. situation. How I perceive that is completely going to set off one whole host of oh, biochemical so reactions for me based mm. on my learnt behaviours and mm. my past experiences. And you may not have had any sort of association mm. with that same stress and therefore your stress response mm. is going to be completely different in the exact same situation. Yeah. So it was re- there was a really huge focus on all of that kind mm. of just understanding the person from an individual level and mm, that basically great. personalized medicine is the only way forward. Mm. Um, so the thing that I loved heaps was that he really focused on the genes involved with stress mm-hmm. and, you know, like snips on genes and stuff mm. like that, which obviously I absolutely love. <laughs> um, yeah. There was a huge genetic focus, I think, like probably more of on a like underlying level, like it wasn't like genes, 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 but mm. I think too like the way the research is sitting and if we mm. want to really get into personalised medicine down the track, we can't ignore our genetics and mm. our, you know, genetic influences. Was so, there much talk, I mean, I don't know whether it was mm. him or others, but in regards to genetics on if they're obviously you're doing the testing and you're seeing mm. those SNPs there, whether they're, turned on or off you know what I mean like there's that it's still a potential factor right like was there much talk about that or was there do you know what I mean or was there a focus on like we're seeing this in the testing so if that's there then we're pretty much going to treat for that um it was it was a little bit but I think too it's not even looking at genes from a way of being turned on or off yeah it's more about their capacity to work and function at a 
a more effective level. So yeah. therefore, if you've got X amount of SNPs on a gene, which mm. I think when we're looking at different genetic testing, obviously that's coded different ways. You know, it's some people it's like you've got three red lights on that, so yeah. that gene's not probably doing what it should be mm -hmm. doing, um, or that enzyme or protein's not doing what it should mm. be doing because of that. So it's not so much about things being turned mm. on or off. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't focus on that so much. It wasn't. It didn't get into the genetics yeah. that yeah. much. It was probably just more looking at identifying specific genes in different areas mm. and then understanding that if we want to you know, exert X behavior, then mm. we need to um, consider what these genes are doing mm. and how heavily, you know, potentially working or, you know, working or not they are, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So he did talk a lot about, I think oh, that's the ones in terms of, that was this other slide I was looking for, but he talked heaps about the genes involved in stress. Um, and he also talked heaps about, um, like just certain nutrients and there's some really cool research coming into just like the hyper excitatory state that the mm -hmm. body can get into under times of stress. So obviously like that, you know, glutamate, those glutamate pathways and quinone pathways mm -hmm. and all of that. So obviously that stuff, I don't know if we talked about it so much in podcasts, but Not obviously, when, yeah, obviously mm -hmm. when we do a lot of testing in the clinic, these are some of the things mm -hmm. that we're looking at, especially using the organic acid test. We can yep. look at that and the Dutch test to a degree as well. Um, so there was lots of talk about the use of specific um, supplements and nutrients mm. to kind of really deal with that. There mm -hmm. was some there's some really cool research on um, N-acetylcysteine, mm -hmm. um, really cool research on magnesium being mm -hmm. able to cross the blood-brain barrier, but not the magnesium that you would typically see in a lot of supplements, the magnesium that... What was the NAC specifically about off the top of your head? Off the top like, of my head. Like mm. if you don't, if you're just like, I can't remember, no, no, that's no, cool. I'm just curious if, if it was in relation to what you were just talking about. Like is it in relation yeah. back to the yeah. Do you know how many podcasts I've listened to other people talk about the yeah. quinoline pathway yeah. and they always they stumble over oh, really? it like all the bloody well, time? What do you say? I say quinolinic. Quinolinic. I try. I don't even know Quinone what I try. Pathway, Quino, yeah. Quinolinic. I quinolinic, think I try and yeah. say. Um, Let me find. Or it. the yeah with the glutamate production as well. Whether it was in relation to those particular it was. pathways. It was. Yeah. No. That's what I was. That's what I was really excited about. Yeah. Actually. Right. Because obviously we've used NAC for just more like trying to you know boost um, glutathione levels in the past, and obviously there's a lot of cool research for it um, in the gut. Yeah. But then obviously looking at it, here we go. So N-acetyl mechanisms of action. So NAC lowers glutamate through um, cysteine glutamate antiporter. Um, increases glutathione, which we already know. Um, glutathione is potent, as potent CNS or central nervous system antioxidant, but also um, increases dopamine release mm -hmm. and mediates reward, reinforcement, relax, which is obviously just the dopamine pathways in the brain. So, yes. So it's almost still coming back to its role as a major antioxidant. As a major antioxidant, yeah. Which you've got to wonder about how then it's related back to the inflammation in the gut and mediating the inflammation in the gut, which mm. is the generally the root cause those yeah. substrates going down the like yeah. you know not the bad well let's call them the bad pathways yeah. but too much down the wrong pathway too much, yeah. those pathways have a role but we just don't want to yeah. push down them too much there was um basically like like just 
getting off Jay a little bit, but just talking about the speakers across the board, the big focus, honestly, mm. for this whole thing was mediating inflammation. Mm. Like if we can't control inflammation and we can't control stress, mm. we have neurodegeneration. Mm. So we end up with Alzheimer's, we end up with dementia, we end yeah. up with um, neuro- neuropsychiatric disorders, yeah. clinical depression, cardiovascular disease, like all of this stuff mm. is all just stemming from inflammation. Yeah. So the big take home was, yeah, from all the speakers was identifying triggers of inflammation, mm. triggers of stress, mm. um, and then from that, treating those. So I think the thing that was really cool, that it wasn't so much about, okay, once you've got all this stuff, you're, you're buggered. Like mm. there was a lot of um, you know research and a lot of them speaking that they've reversed a lot of this stuff for people or at least mm. stopped the progression of it. Mm. But I think the cool thing for um, us looking at this is like, you know, they're dealing with people that are already in a diseased state. Mm. I think like if you kind of pull a lot of that out of it and come back to preventative medicine, we've got the power and the tools to to stop a lot of these mm. diseases from even happening yeah. if we want to in our earlier yeah. in our earlier stages of life. So, yeah, I think that was really cool. There was heaps mm. about um, NF kappa B. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Like there's heaps of supplements targeting mm-hmm. that now, which I think yep. is oh, I'm just like great. They locked onto some sort of you know. Thing that you know controls inflammation I think there's there's definitely the potential for this in terms of you know therapeutic um, nutrient mm-hmm. treatment mm-hmm. but I still think there's going to be a lot of supplements that are going to jump off and you know claim to be you know probably suboptimal supplements or over-the-counter stuff um, NF2 or NF2 activators which yeah. is obviously your anti-inflammatory pathway mm-hmm. and then your NF cappers are your pro-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So these are things that transcribe for releasing your pro-inflammatory cytokines and all mm-hmm. of that. So it's basically looking at those two kind of mechanisms in the body and you obviously want to be activating, you know, your nerf 2s and mm-hmm. you want to be, you know, not deactivating but less influence of mm-hmm. the, you know, NF-kappa. Yep. Yeah. Down-regulating. So down-regulating mm-hmm. that. So that I think is where the future of... Mm. I think a lot of, you know, targeted stuff is going to be mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of like looking at those two those two areas in terms of inflammation. Um, mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool to hear all about. Like mm. I honestly hadn't heard much. I'd heard heaps about NERF2 activators, but I hadn't mm. heard much about NF. Well, I think we've seen, interestingly, like even from some of the last symposium, we've mm. seen products on the market come mm. through like in regards to NERF2. Yep. I can think of a couple out there on the shelf that were very specific that yeah. came out, I, I would say, post some Post. of those other symposiums. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting you were saying about, like, that information is there, which is wonderful, and you can have a more targeted approach, but then other, uh, yeah, other mainstream or just generally, like, that overall um, – supplement market yeah. taking that information yeah. as we've as it's done for decades yeah. and yeah. going this is the newest thing let's pack it all into a product and yeah. like this is the yeah. be all and end all like yeah. i think even for us like this that information is wonderful mm-hmm. and we want to know that and use it but what it highlights that you've talked most about out of this symposium is individuality right absolutely so it's just like yeah, it's just like, oh, inflammation, I need to take this latest supplement yeah. that's going to be yeah, down-regulating, down-regulating my of that. B. You know, it's just, it's that's great and it's an option but and we'll probably be using that in a lot of different ways in a clinical mm. environment um, and already do realistically, but it's just... Yeah, it's individualism, isn't it? Yeah, it so mm. is. I just This was the slide. So this is actually from Brandon Brock who was 
I think out of all the speakers, like, so we had Jay Lombard. He was awesome. He was a little bit um, quite a, quite, a, quite eccentric, like, in uh-huh. his the way he spoke. And you could tell he, like, he was a great speaker, but he was definitely one of those kind of more science nerd guys that I feel like had been pulled into the speaking limelight, <laughs> which is really cool. So he was quite quirky and interesting to listen to speak, and he had his C. diff theories. And he, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty hilarious. I'm like, dude, there's other pathogens in the gut. Can we talk about those? But C. diff is, like, the you know, in his in his hypotheses, like going to be the the big thing that's causing everything, which you know it may maybe it may not be, but anyway, um, I think just for everyone listening, like just to really get our heads around, um, you know, the different things we want to be considering for inflammatory stuff. Like obviously, mm-hmm. we can sit here and we know exactly when we say we're talking about stuff from environmental and an internal point mm-hmm. of view. But like, I just thought this was a really cool slide, and I'll just read this out. Like, this is how fast sort of fetch we need to think when we're Mm. thinking about potential drivers of stress and inflammation so so we've just got our structural stuff so Mm -hmm. just that's just looking at stuff from purely a you know structural point of view so Mm -hmm. do you have you know your spine out of alignment Mm. you know your your, you know um shoulders pain all Mm. of that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff so that's not even our area as nutritionists but i think Mm. it really highlights when we're starting to treat people how multifaceted the treatment needs Mm -hmm. to be like you know we can be treating the gut and looking after the stress from our end but if you've got someone whose back is out of alignment that's another source of stress for them so Mm -hmm. they need to be seeing a physio or a chiropractor or you know acupuncturist and all that kind of stuff um Obviously, like the neurophysical imbalances, which is not something we would be looking at ourselves, but Mm. looking at stuff to do with obviously actual damage to the central nervous system and the brain. So stuff that actually happens over time from stress and inflammation. So breakdown of, you know, the neurons and neuronal activity um, from stress and inflammation. Um, the environment. So this was a huge one. This was hugely focused on our diet, which uh-huh. obviously we're going to get into. Uh-huh. Um, diet, um, exercise, nutrition, toxin exposure, um, alcohol use, drugs, and how many times you've been hospitalized, put under general anesthetic, uh, you're exposed. Yeah, general anesthetics, um, your exposure to, um, you know, antibiotics, um, Mm. exposure to other drugs that you might be on for certain conditions. So that was a big one. There's some really interesting ones even in that point, the things that we see with clients all the time Mm. you don't really think about, like, um, yeah, surgeries and, you know, obviously the medicines involved there, antibiotics, IV antibiotics, Mm. alcohol, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there that we are just generally exposed to, yeah. which you can kind of look at from a client perspective and go, you know, why am I here? Why is this, why is this mm. all happening? Like, I feel like I haven't, you know, it's not like I went overseas and picked up a bad pathogen. Like, yeah. you know, it's interesting when you consider all of those factors that just unfortunately are naturally part of our naturally lives. Naturally part of our lives. Mm. Yeah. And I think too, like just... Like I know it's something that you kind of forget about, but I know even when we were probably doing our, you know, nutrition training as little, mm. little like budding nutritionists, like you spend so much time and focusing on, you know, people's exposure to the environment when they're mm. young. Like, did you grow up on a farm? Did you grow up in an agricultural area mm. where you, you know, was your house like the castle right beside an aeroplane runway? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like you've got to consider all of these things when you're looking at someone's, you know, um, inflammatory response and really consider, you know, from early life stages and even even, yeah, in utero and the mother and grandmother's mm. exposure, mm. like what sort of toxins are they dealing with every day before they even step out the door? Yeah. So that was really big. Um, the other thing was obviously looking at um, energy energy responses, so op- our exposure to oxidative stress, both environmental and 
um, internally. Um, our adrenal function, thyroid function, mitochondrial function, our you know susceptibility to infections. How often are you getting sick? So. Mm. I think like it just it just kept going on like it was mm -hmm. just there was so much stuff I'm not going to read all of this stuff out but yep. um, gut stuff was huge food allergies pathogenic infections infl inflammation in the gut um, dysbiosis so all of the stuff that we talk about heaps um, and then obviously like yeah just the whole HBA axis so like you know how stressed are you how do you deal with stress how mm. much have you got on mm -hmm. like it was just and like. Honestly, I'm not even reading out half the slide just so everyone knows. But when we're starting to consider what drivers of stress there are for people and what inflammatory things we need to consider, mm. I think, you know, obviously just even from the list I've just read out, mm. you can so see that what would be my drivers of stress are not going to be yours. Mm -hmm. So, exactly. again, it comes back to that whole personalised mm -hmm. thing. And sitting down with someone who's a practitioner or someone who knows what they're talking about who can really properly identify mm. what is going on for you mm. and what areas you need to focus on rather mm. than just giving a blanket treatment for everyone who's got Alzheimer's or a blanket treatment mm. for everyone who's got depression. Or... Yeah. No, it's so – and even when you sort of break it down into those different areas, mm. it really highlights when you as a – from a treatment perspective, if you can understand where those trigger yeah. points are for that person as individual, then you can cater your treatment specifically yeah. for them. Whereas yeah. if you're not looking and considering all of those drivers of inflammation, mm. um, then, yeah, you're going to maybe throw at it just a broad-spectrum approach and yeah. that's not going to be beneficial. No. It might be for some people you happen to just hit the nail yeah, on the head yeah absolutely but there's a multitude of factors that need yeah. to be considered yeah mm. so it was, cool. it was it was so cool but it was just cool that like to hear all of these people that like and honestly these guys and and girls had qualifications not that you know qualifications mean you know like when you can have someone who's got 20 million degrees and everything mm. how does that play out in clinical practice they yeah. don't always have that knowledge base yeah. but these these speakers were really cool like they they all had, you know, they just had been studying and studying and studying and practicing and mm. practicing and practicing. So they'd seen stuff play out. They've read the literature. They know what's working in their own mm. clinical practice and what's not. Brandon Brock was super cool. He was like honestly listening to a, um, I don't even know how to describe it, like like a, a brain on speed. <laughs> Like I could see, like for me, like I love that kind of delivery. Yeah, yeah. Like I love just, you know, power delivery, yeah. get to the point, throw all the big information at you and yeah. just do it at a high, high paced environment. Yeah. Like I love that. I thrive in that kind yeah. of stuff. But I feel like there's a lot of people, I even heard a few people talking when they walked out going, well, that was too full on. But like, I respond really well to that kind of stuff because it just keeps you, keeps you listening and yeah. entertained. He was huge on genetics as well. He mm. actually spent a lot of time working with um, um, people with acquired brain injuries, mm. which was really, really cool. So either um, football players. So this was this I found really interesting. So people that have had falls or knocks to the head. And mm -hmm. obviously, so he was looking at it from a completely different point of view. Mm -hmm. um, but he was, oh, I'm starting to remember stuff that he was saying. This is really cool. It's coming back to me. <laughs> so he spent a lot of time, yeah, obviously acquired brain injuries, either from football, um, knocks to the head, falls, strokes, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So his first presentation was very much focused on that. He did make a really cool point, obviously, from a lot of his research and a lot of what he's seen. Like if you have a, I'm just going to, like this was really cool, and I think it would be a big take home for a lot of mums who have kids who play sport, mm. especially football. Um, if you have a knockout on a field mm. whether it, or a fall down the stairs and you knock yourself out, if mm. you re-injure like that area, like if you have another knock within 28 days, the chance of you ending up with an acquired brain injury or brain bleed is just phenomenal. Like mm. he keeps his 
his football players and his young kids and all of that, if they have a knockout where they're actually physically knocked out or a big brain yeah. knock. And I think that, you know, the standard at the moment is you just keep them off the field for the rest of the game or you mm. keep them off the field for three days. He is like 28 days minimum. Wow. So I feel like, geez, I'm just like every young kid playing football probably needs to know this at the moment, and especially with the young brain. Mm -hmm. Like he was just, he mm. went on about that for ages, but just in terms of what he sees and just even in terms of like central nervous system inflammation later in life from kids that have, played these contact sports, I'm not trying to freak people out too much, but just, but just, <laughs> no, understanding, just understanding how plastic the brain is and it's mm. not this really rigid, tight, you know, kind of structure inside our head. Like it's this really fluid, plastic, mm. you know, like, um, you know, soft, spongy area mm. and just like damage happens so easily. Mm. So... So that was the first part of his. He talked about a lot of that and just retraining the brain and I think he had obviously had um, some really cool... Um, things to talk about with neuroplasticity, which I thought mm. was really cool. I kind of touched on that a little bit. The other thing that he then really focused on was the gut and the vagal mm -hmm. nerve, which mm -hmm. I thought was really, really cool. So he obviously spent a lot of time talking about the literature between the brain and the gut. Mm -hmm. And obviously he's coming at it. He started out coming at it from just a, a brain point of view, but then he started to realize with a lot of his patients that weren't getting better, there's this whole gut element. Mm -hmm. So there's SIBO and there's pathogens and mm -hmm. there's all of this. So then he started realizing for all of his kind of clients that weren't getting better or, you know, things like that, all of a sudden there's this gut presentation as well. So did the did the brain injury like kickstart the gut mm. injury or was the gut injury yeah. or like the gut, you know, inflammation? But all of a sudden, you know, he, for people that weren't getting better, he's treating SIBO and it's mm. totally out of his field, but he had to learn about it mm. because this was something that was coming up in his clinical practice. And by treating the gut and the brain or treating the brain and then the gut, like mm. he was getting people better. So mm. he's like, right, there's got to be some sort of connection here and started looking into the vagal nerve and vagal nerve stimulation and all of that. And yeah, like some really cool stuff for people that even um, had like, um, what's the right word, like structural things going on, like maybe post-stroke or post, you know, brain injury or car accident or something like that where, you know, their gut was all of a sudden a mess after it and he'd work with their gut but then do things to stimulate the vagus nerve. And I think he was talking about like just even getting like prongs and putting them in the ear. I was like, going to ask if it was what things he was talking yeah. about specifically for and, stimulating yeah, it because there's a lot of like actual – yeah. visceral like um, manipulation it's literally that you can do. all it was yeah. yeah like it was just literally like yeah visceral manipulation like just um I'm, it's hard to explain it but those prongs that you kind of dong and then you just kind of put yep. on the and just, yep. just enough to kind of hit things near the ear where the vagal nerve kind of mm, locks into the side of the brain um he talked he didn't talk much about like obviously we've well, we probably haven't talked about it on podcasts, but there's other things you can do like gargling, like anything mm. where the kind of the end neurons of that vagal nerve start to attach into the central nervous system, like around mm. behind our ears. And into, yeah, we're like little aliens. It's so cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, like heaps of stimulating that mm. to just really kind of, you know, retrain neuronal pathways and re-stimulate the brain to kind of function again. Mm -hmm. But he was just like, yeah, big focus on if the, you know, getting that gut right after a brain injury it has mm. to be something that has to be considered in, you know, the future of treating, treating stroke and treating dementia and Alzheimer's yeah. and you know car accident you know yeah, brain MS, MS yeah. yeah so it was yeah. he was cool um yeah what about I don't know I know those two you've just mentioned mm. but um from a food and nutrition point of view I yes. know it's a big question but that's one thing you did we did have a quick talk about yeah. Yeah. how there was definitely a lot of focus on the side of nutrition that we're probably more yeah. – well, well, I say the side of nutrition, but I think the, the part of nutrition that is at the forefront has the most research and it's just exploding with yeah. information. But there was a little bit of a crossover, you're saying, from that presentation to maybe 
some another one or presenter yeah, where yeah. it was a little bit still old school. Yeah. If I dare call it old school, paleo-y, ah, yeah. keto-y so that, that approach. Was, that was Dale Brennison, yeah. which I always find it interesting when you go to these things, right? Like the people that are probably the most uh, like – publicized speakers do you know what i mean they've got the treatment protocol and they've got the book they're actually the people i find least enjoyable to listen to because i feel like because they i'm just i'm probably gonna get effing shot for this well no we said the same thing last time maybe we didn't say it on the podcast but but anyway i just feel like there's obviously there's people creating great protocols yeah and they are 100 percent helping people i'm not Mm. denying that like we've got protocols for autoimmune we've got protocols for this and protocols for that and Dale Brennison has obviously created uh, written a a book or two I remember um, and created this protocol for treating Alzheimer's disease which is very um, highly nutrient um, therapeutic doses of nutrients ketogenic diet um, lifestyle stuff like and his protocols obviously it's working for a lot of people don't get me wrong but I just find sometimes with these people that have created these protocols it's their way. It's kind of like their way or, yeah. or the high, not even their way or the highway. It's just like they're so pigeonholed into mm. their approach. And yes, it's work, but again, we're taking people and I'll probably like his approach is obviously very good in the sense that he, he assesses and um, probably addresses is probably the better word. A lot of inflammatory aspects in mm. the body. So he's putting them on a, any or a ketogenic diet, which is obviously stripping mm. out a lot of refined sugars, carbohydrates mm. or, you know, processed meat. So very, any, you know, um, ketogenic diet to just shrink all of that down, which obviously controls blood sugar parameters, mm. um, produces you know ketone activity in the brain like all of that kind of stuff so for he's and he's getting great results but then there's kind of again i think we said this last year about some of the ms protocols and stuff like that there's no there's no reintegration and there's no there's no gray area well and there's also no longevity studies around this stuff like there's some pretty um there's all there's some amazing research in relation to applying those sorts of diets Mm. to specific conditions and obviously his work is showing that which is freaking amazing like we totally respect that and let's be 100% honest like we use these protocols with our clients occasionally in clinic where needed definitely but the problem is when you take a protocol like that and you try and then apply that to the broader population Mm. and then go this is the way that everyone needs to eat because you know and I guess it's coming from a place of real excitement and passion for them yeah where they're they're just like oh my god this is amazing this is so healing like everyone needs to live like this it's like well no like it works for that subtype um or expression of inflammation in the body yeah but it doesn't mean that then you use that on the rest of the population Mm. and also what's the long-term outcomes of this if we you know we don't have these longitudinal studies to tell us yeah like if you are to apply this type of diet well we actually are starting to see stuff coming through now i must admit from the gut point of view even over x amount of years but you know you know where i'm going with that like it's just that that's the concern about it but i think where he he lost me honestly like he (laughs) He he's got a he had a great um great set of research um things and a great set of protocol um things behind him and he had helped people 
amazingly mm. with, you know, really chronic Alzheimer's disease to the point where, you know, he'd kind of reversed a lot of it. Mm. And I completely understand his protocol, even from a, like a scientific point of view as mm. to why it works. I get that. But too, like obviously, and maybe he just hasn't got that far because it's a newish protocol in yeah. terms of, you know, then do you start integrating um, carbohydrates back in? He did talk about having like a refeeding day mm. or a down day in terms of that kind of stuff, but it, we didn't go into that too much. But I think, and he kind of lost me a little bit when, because there was a lot of um, questioning, obviously, around, okay, well, if you're doing this diet, like say someone comes in with early onset Alzheimer's yeah. and they're at 45 or 50 years old and they've potentially, if you reverse this or stop the progression of yeah. it, they've potentially got another 30 years of life ahead of them. What impacts does your treatment protocol have on their gut microbiome? Knowing full well that if we're just treating an inflammatory condition of the brain, we also mm. need to look after the immunological system. We need to look after, you know, the mic, you know, short chain fatty acid production, all this kind of stuff. So he did get asked that a few times, and it came up in the discussion panel at the end. And he he blatantly was just like, I don't see that there's any detrimental impact of being on a ketogenic diet long term or there's no research mm. that suggests that it suggests that mm. it's harmful. And I'm like, dude, you just lost me. Like yeah, yeah. like there is research coming out about it being long term. We know that the ketogenic diet mm. can be useful for so many for quite a few conditions, therapeutic therapeutically and acutely. But you can't stand up there and say to a bunch of people who are trying to learn, like something that's actually not true yeah. like if you yeah. don't know say look i actually don't know yet mm. i'm not at that stage of mm. my treatment protocol like at the moment we're just treating people acutely and we're seeing great results mm. but we haven't got to the stage where we've started integrating mm. you know more you know and pulling them in and out of ketosis and seeing what impact that mm. has i don't actually know much about the gut microbiome mm. should have been his answer mm -hmm. um and therefore i can't really answer that question effectively or the research isn't there yet so like it kind of loses me when people are really yeah, pigeonholed sure. into their their protocol and they're just totally disregarding everything else that's going on in terms of the world of research and it was kind of cool listening to the panel of speakers because I do feel like Brandon Brock and Amanda Archibald who we'll get to in a second like and even Jay Lombard too they kind of didn't they didn't argue with him on that but they definitely were like no well the research doesn't support mm. that yet and we don't know so we have mm. to wait for the research and see what their long-term impacts of you know this is going to be on the gut but it's definitely not suggestive at the moment that it supports a healthy gut microbiome long term so anyway so that was pretty bloody interesting yeah, so but again like his his protocol was great he did he has got a book and i feel like it has you know it's, it's he's obviously doing great things um there was one other speaker because we're running out of time um who was albert mense and he obviously worked with clinical depression mm -hmm. um again very similar um, he was he was actually probably an amazing presenter. Like he was just so engaging. He walked around and talked to the entire crowd and just had these cool stories. But he obviously worked a lot with children in the autistic spectrum and a lot with um, you know, clinical depression and psychiatric disorders. And again, it just came back to treating them not as um not as like oh, like that, that these, there's something wrong with these people like coming back and looking at what are their inflammatory drivers like do they have gut dysbiosis what are their genes doing yeah. he um there was a huge focus on how like and this is probably a good one for everyone to hear how unimportant the mthfr gene <laughs> is in the big scheme of things and i was like thank god we're finally yeah. Just starting to realise that MTHFR is just one part yeah. of the whole genetic equation. They did talk a lot about COMT, which I'm a, I'm a bit obsessed with COMT, <laughs> which is great. Um, and I'm like, yes, COMT is the new MTHFR. <laughs> no, there's always one. Well, even I get, it's funny, isn't it, like last year when um, 
we saw Denise talk, like she was talking about like how, and, oh. oh, just more about also how she would kind of like have crushes. I remember mm. saying on different jeans, like you kind of get yeah. obsessed and go, oh my God, this one's amazing. And then yeah. you discover another one yeah. and you're like, oh my God, now I remember. Yeah, it's yeah, just... yeah, it is. It's so is like that. And, but yeah, like I just loved too that they were like the whole thing was um, looking at genetics as a whole and yep. looking at it's yeah. genes are part of the equation, but they're not the equation. Mm. Um, but yeah, you've got to look at how the person's functioning as a whole from a genetic point of view, mm. not just focus on these single genes and then get so honed in on that. Mm -hmm. So that was really, I think, obviously we knew that, but I think a big take home that a lot of people need to hear. Mm. Um, treating depression and clinical, major clinical depression and, um, you know, um, ep not epilepsy, autism. I'm like, autism. what's the other word? <laughs> I'm like, and all, no, all, all sorts of behavioral stuff as inflammatory conditions mm -hmm. and looking at them again, like even for children from a personalized mm -hmm. medicine point of view, yeah. like having a really good chat to the parents, understanding the parents' genetics, the parents' inflammatory yeah. triggers, and then seeing how that plays out in a child. So again, yeah. very personalized approach to treating. So he's obviously works on a clinic and done some amazing stuff. My, I think the take the speaker that you would have loved, apart from all the science nerd stuff, um, was Amanda Archibald. So okay. she um, was huge on nutrigenomics uh -huh. and huge on the therapeutic clinical application of food. Uh -huh. So she, honestly, like I just loved listening to her because I think she was just like, look, guys, we've got she and she is a science nerd through and through. Like she knows her biochemistry, uh -huh. she knows her nutrigenomics, she knows her epigenetics, like the freaking back of her hand. Uh -huh. So you couldn't get in an argument with her <laughs> about that because like she knows it. But she is just so about the food. She's like, we have all of this information. We have all of this. If you cannot translate this into in the kitchen and get people to eat foods that influences their gene and influences their inflammatory mediators, then we're wasting our freaking time. So awesome. So she honestly, like she was just so cool to listen to and just so she just had literature upon literature upon literature articles of stuff that just backs food as the absolute be all and end all yeah. influence of our health like we've got to manage our stress we've got to manage our lifestyle but if you're not eating right yeah. don't freaking waste your time basically uh -huh. like she just oh it was so cool and she has this program in the states that she's obviously rolling out in a lot of their hospitals i'm not sure how their um, public public health system works over there but basically just going in and teaching chefs how to cook to influence genes oh like God, it's amazing. it's amazing and it's just such basic stuff but just bringing back in you know like all of the herbs that mm. we don't that people don't use anymore like fresh herbs wild greens mm. um grass-fed animal proteins mm. um you know anti-inflammatory fats but also just looking at specific foods in combinations mm. and what they do in terms of activating nerf 2 mm. and controlling you know your n kappa b and all of that mm. so it was just really brought back to a food-based level That's so, so fascinating yeah and that's probably a topic that out of all well there's yeah. quite a few but that would be something it would be really fascinating to delve into well i feel detail. like maybe we should because i feel like yeah like i've got so many like pages of stuff and research so maybe we could even do a whole podcast mm. on her stuff because obviously we're such foodies like mm. i think for her, like it wasn't like I was hearing anything new from her, yeah. but to see the science behind it, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's where like I think people need to really understand yeah. how important food is. Uh -huh. um, I think everyone's so quick to take it, like what we're saying, like you can take a pill for yeah. you know, Nerf 2 and all yeah. of this, but if you can't translate that in your kitchen and you're not eating, you know, like anti-inflammatory foods yeah. and foods rich in polyphenols and she was calling them bioactives, but basically yeah. polyphenol compounds yeah. and, you know, nu nut nutrient compounds and antioxidant compounds that, you know, actually get in and influence yeah. how 
genes express and Mm -hmm. you know you know influence inflammatory stuff and stress mediators and all of that then you know we're kind of fighting an uphill battle no no pill or nothing manufactured in a lab is going to do what we can never get from a kitchen and get never, from food. Never, never. So, yeah. so she was she was awesome and I think too just to kind of have that break from all the guys with the science like she had the science and the literature mm. but she was just like I'm about the food yeah she also talked heaps about the blue zones which I thought was really cool like mm-hmm. uh, have you did you read the blue zones books mm-hmm. years ago I read the Blue Zone book probably, oh, God, like probably eight eight years ago maybe. No, probably even longer now because I read it when I started studying, so I'm probably talking like ten years ago. So the Blue Zones was a um, book and a really easy read if anyone wants to read it, but it basically was one of the largest epidemiology studies ever done in the world where they go around and they look at concentrations of centenarians, centenarians, Uh word I can never say, but basically concentrated populations of people living into their hundreds. Yeah. You know, so and what these people are eating. I think I do know what you mean, actually. Yeah, so Sardinia is one of them when I read the book there was only four blue zones so there was Sardinia there was a place in Central or South America there was a place in Japan and there was another one I can't remember Mm -hmm. but basically just looking at their diets Mm -hmm. and historically their diets and what these people what these people eat and then you know and their stress and and looking at all of that and just kind of working out why these little concentrated you know off the grid places have men and women living into their hundreds and healthily, like Mm. disease-free. So, yeah, so she talked a lot about that and the research and literature behind Mm -hmm. that um, and the proper Mediterranean diet, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really cool. And honestly, if you look at it across the board throughout all of these countries, it really is a combination of diversity of food. Um, There's always been starches and carbohydrates consumed mm-hmm. there's always been um meat consumed but definitely not in the capacity mm-hmm. that we're consuming it in a westernized world like mm-hmm. meat like well when i read the blue zones meat was more of a celebrate celebration mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. so they weren't eating meat kind of every day mm-hmm. but then obviously in some populations in greece and stuff you know now i think they've identified seven or something blue zones now mm-hmm. like where they are doing a lot of you know grass-fed meat um, yeah, that's probably a whole other topic. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, just these, it was a big lifestyle thing, a big focus on just food, um, you know, wild greens, foraging, like, you know, nuts and berries, stress-free eating. Mm, um, which is a big part on it alone, isn't it? Yeah, lots of focus on plant-based eating yeah. across the board, no matter where we looked at these cultures of people that were really living into their hundreds, mm. um, plant-based eating is at its core. So, mm. you know, starch, like grains, starchy, like starchy root vegetables, vegetables, um, you know, um, antimicrobial herbs, wild greens, mm. and then fish or meat mm-hmm. or, yeah. So amazing. It was so cool. I love that they've integrated someone in that had that really strong push and passion, yeah. like just, just yeah. to pull all that information together. Yeah. And I hope that I hope that there was a lot of people that were there that that really pushed them over the edge mm. as far as, as a, being a practitioner to yeah. understand how important that is because I do think that a lot of, People can go to those sorts of conferences and get overly excited about the information from a supplement point of view. Like you can walk out and see new supplements and be like, oh, my God, I'm going to use this supplement for that person. And it's just like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, that's quite cool Mm. that we have some more information about these different types of nutrients, amino acids, herbs that we can use as a supplement and how they influence the body. But let's talk about what we're doing every day, generally three times a day yeah. and the importance of that and the amazing therapeutic benefits. Yeah. And as you said, like highlighting that you will never get in a pill what you can get from food. Yeah. Um, 
And I, yeah, I'd love to talk about that more. I think even I think, just picking, yeah. just some looking at that picture there, like it'd be amazing just to pick just some of the, the recipes even that we love and use in our daily life mm. that you could break, grab and break down and talk about all of what that does That's, therapeutically. Yeah. Like, you know, herbs, you can think about a classic mm. pesto that you try and encourage your clients to use on mm. a weekly basis. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, I just think it's awesome, it's, obviously. Yeah, I, I would have, like, wet my pants a little yeah, bit over I did, that one. Yeah, <laughs> I did as well, to be honest. Like, as much as, yeah, like, I loved listening to, like, all of the other speakers. It was so nice to have someone just pull it all together and bring it back to a food-based mm. perspective and just be like, if we don't manage our stress and we don't manage our lifestyle and we don't eat properly, mm. we're all, we're, you know, it's, these are the drivers of, yeah. you know, inflammatory conditions. These are the reasons we have, you know, mm. such high incidences of Alzheimer's, such high incidence of, you know, depression, high incidence of cardiovascular disease. Mm. Like the three biggest things that, you know, the US and Australia are dealing with is, um, you know, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, so, mm. you know, insulin-related insulin stuff, mm-hmm. type 2 diabetes. Um, we're dealing with Alzheimer's and we're dealing with mental health disorders. Yep. So they're our biggest biggest problems across the board and all of them come back to managing your stress Mm. managing your um you know your inflammation and eating well and exercising Mm -hmm. so you've just got to work out how to get that to work for you and it is different for every Mm. person 100 percent. but when you get that sort of clockwork ticking the way it needs Mm. to the body will function Mm. the way it should yeah so Oh, nice. nice summary. Nice summary. Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was really cool. But I think we should do a whole thing on Amanda Archibald because she was a yep. freaking rock star. Yep, definitely. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, make our own little spin on it too. Yeah, I've cool. got it. I'm just like, ooh, we could do this, we could do that. Yeah, well, I, I can just send you because honestly, like, there's probably like three. 180 slides from each presenter so I'm hoping I'll just summarise as best I can but I feel like because we're such foodies the nutrigenomics of food will be a cool podcast yeah yeah it'd be great yeah cool all right guys well thank you for listening I hope you guys have enjoyed this one (laughs) just like (laughs) Carissa's just verbal (laughs) spew of everything from the symposium which I've really enjoyed I'm sure everyone's enjoyed it but if there's been some particular points that she's talked Mm. about you'd like us to delve into deeper please let us know because that would be really awesome feedback obviously we're wanting to do nutrigenomics i think that would be wonderful but if there's anything else you're like oh i you talked a little bit about that but like give Mm. me more um just pop us a dm on socials or we can do an instagram live about it like if you want to just know more about a certain topic like Mm. like i said there was five speakers and probably 180 slides for each speaker like if there's something that you're like i want to know more about that let us know and just and i'll do an instagram live talking about it and we should do one on her alone yeah oh my god okay i'm getting yeah. over excited yeah. like one minute hi <laughs> <laughs> right, guys thank you so much for joining thank um, you. share subscribe all of the things we usually love. say <laughs> love. love love you guys chat next time bye